Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, more to tell. The issue of privilege is not one to take lightly in any government. Former Minister Jane Philpott launches a rocket at Justin Trudeau just days after the budget, telling McLean's magazine there's much more to say about the SNC-Lavalin affair. Now Jody Wilson-Raybould is submitting new written evidence. Why won't the Prime Minister just let these two women speak as they want? Is there something to hide? Should he boot them from the party? Minister Melanie Jolie is here to talk about the government's view on all that. And then MPs will weigh in on the next step. Then, banking on the budget. We need to continue to be fiscally responsible. And that's why we've done this, by maintaining our fiscal track, by continuing to improve both our uh, balance sheet and reduce the amount of deficit as a function of our economy each and every year. The Liberals hope big spending and big deficits will win voters this fall. But will breaking a promise to balance the books hurt them? Did they miss the mark on universal pharmacare? The finance minister, Bill Morneau, joins us with his answers. And then our special guests, former NDP leader Tom Mulcair and the former Alberta Premier Alison Redford will weigh in on the budget, the SNC-Lavalin affair, and why the whole country is watching that election in Alberta. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. The issue at question is uh, the issue of pressure around Laval the Lavalin issue um, while she was Attorney General, and she got to speak fully to that. More to the story that should be told. Those are the words of Jane Philpott, the widely respected former President of the Treasury Board, the former Minister of Health, the former Minister of Indigenous Services, and she said those in a radioactive interview she gave to McLean's magazine, which has reignited the whole SNC-Lavalin controversy. Philpott re resigned alongside Jody Wilson-Raybould because she claims there was an open attempt at political interference. Now, in a week where the government delivered a budget with $22 billion of new spending, Philpott's demand for the Prime Minister to give a waiver to speak more fully about this controversy has shaken the Liberal caucus. Then Jody Wilson-Raybould wrote a letter to the Justice Committee saying she wants to provide more evidence, texts and emails that she claims will bolster her view that she was improperly pressured when she was the Attorney General. So given all this, will the Liberals simply let these two powerful women speak? Should they be kicked out of caucus? What should happen? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Minister of Tourism, Official Languages and the Francophonie, Melanie Jolie. Good to have you here. Good to be here. Let's start with Jane Philpott's words. Um, she said very explicitly um, to McLean's Magazine, there's much more to this story that should be told. Mm -hmm. Okay, she's pretty well respected. Why doesn't you, well, how does your party in the wake of that justify not bringing these two women back to the Justice Committee, shutting it down? Well, first of all, if we look at the issue that is at stake right now, Evan, the issue is whether there was inappropriate pressure uh, on, the, on the Attorney General to make sure to protect the 9,000 jobs at the SNC-Lavalin. Mrs. Philpott was not part of these discussions and that was clearly discussed actually before the Justice Committee in Mr. Butt's testimony. Now we've waived client, uh, solicitor client privilege. We've also waived uh, the fact that cabinet confidence. It's the first time in Canada's history that we've waived that. The Minister of Justice and the former Attorney General also uh, went before committee, talked for four hours and a half, and now if Mrs. Philpott 
wants to go and tell more, she can go before the House of Commons and clearly uh, she can speak because the privilege of uh, parliamentary uh, procedures actually applies okay. to Okay, there's her. a lot in there, Minister. Let me just stay with Jane Philpott. She was asked that question. Mm -hmm. Because you, you, your government keeps saying, go speak. She says this, I'll read her line. If nothing wrong took place, then why don't we waive privilege on the whole issue and let those who have something to say on it speak their minds and share their stories? Both Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybal say there's more to say, that Canadians have not, they don't know the full story. Why don't you just waive privilege if there's nothing there and let them speak? Well, we've... Waive privilege for, for no, the attorney for the whole, general for the whole period. But actually, you want to make sure at, if they want to speak, actually, and they can clearly speak, they can use their own parliamentary privilege to go before parliament. But they say they and can't, speak. though. To be fair, she, but, you're a lawyer, but so is Jody Wilson-Raybould. But Mrs. Raybould also said today that she wants to send more of text and emails that she got. Yes. So it shows that basically she has confidence in the fact that uh, she can she she can speak and. That that we can give her the opportunity to speak. Oh, and on, therefore, okay, she, me, she is asking the Justice Committee to look into this issue, as she, uh, she, and she sent a letter regarding that. And then it's up to the Justice Committee to take that decision. But, M Minister, let's talk about that. Jody Wilson-Rebel is going to send uh, written evidence, which she says texts and messages, that will bolster her claim. But she's sending them to the Justice Committee that has shut her out from speaking again. How will that evidence get examined? How will the Justice Committee question her on it? Who will test that evidence? It seems to me once she does that, your liberal-controlled committee then is obliged to call her back. Would you support that? This is a new letter that she has sent. Obviously, they will take that into account and they will make their own oh, so they study. Could, so they it's up to the, them to decide. But you, the you, other mean they also have, Evan, is that they can go just before Parliament and they can speak. Nothing precludes the fact that they can speak. They have a different because view. They, have a different they view are parliamentarians, on that. and as parliamentarians, as you know, we can just speak in the House, and that protects all, us of okay. many affirmations, but, but again, as you may know, of uh, uh, regarding anything we can say. It's true that they can, although they believe it's not enough. And I would trust a former attorney general on that. She believes she needs another waiver. And two, it's very hard to get a spot, like a standing order gives them one minute uh, to do it. They need more time. But let me get at something else that you said. You talked about 9,000 jobs for SNC-Lavalin, something that your government has quoted a lot. Where did you get that figure? Because this week, the CEO of SNC-Lavalin, Mr. Bruce, came out and said, I never said that 9,000 jobs were at stake. I never said that we were going to move the headquarters. Your government kept saying that. Where did you get that figure from if the president of SNC-Lavalin said it's a bogus figure? Well, I'll tell you my point of view. I'm the member for parliament for Hanse-Cartierville. And many of the people that work at SNC-Lavalin live in Hanse-Cartierville. And they've come to me to do something about it because they were preoccupied at losing their jobs. And many of their families also have been very preoccupied to see maybe their husband and wives losing their jobs. Where'd you get this the, is not just a concept, this is real life people, real people losing potentially their job. But and the, so but obviously as a government, we always that, want to make sure to protect jobs. We've done it in NAFTA. We've done it in many, many uh, uh, contexts. We've even bought a pipeline to make sure that we would, could protect jobs in the West. Jane Philpott says the story is untold. So does Jody Wilson-Rabel. There's more to say. But they did this two days after the budget. Do you, if there was a vote in caucus to keep these two women in 
in caucus, two women who have now questioned the very integrity of the cabinet. Would you vote to keep them in or would you vote to kick them out? Well, this is a question that caucus will have to answer, but let me tell you something. Politics is a team sport. And in a team, not everybody agree. Sometimes some want to do this or that. But at the end of the day, what's the most important is team spirit. Okay. And if they decide not to want to play in a team, it's up to them to decide. Do you think these two women are lying about feeling pressure? Do you think they're lying about saying that there was an attempt to politically interfere? They have resigned their jobs, cabinet jobs that you have, because of this. If you, are they telling the truth in your mind or not? I won't speculate on their motivation. Being a cabinet minister is a tough job. Every day we feel pressure. Every day we feel pressure from our constituents, from people from all around the country, uh, from cabinet colleagues or caucus colleagues that want you to decide in a one given way. But at the end of the day, we decide. And it's up to us to decide how we feel about the decisions we make. To be fair, maybe for you that's the truth. But for an attorney general, it's a different case. It's not about whether you feel. She says it's not about how I feel. It's about the principle of the independence of the judicial system. The attorney general is a different person. You know that it's a different role. And the question now is, are you satisfied that the principle of independent justice has not been violated? Jane Philpott's not. Jody Wilson-Raybould's not. I think we've had a lot of evidence that shows that yeah. basically this pressure was appropriate. What clearly the former Minister of Justice and former Attorney General said, nothing illegal was done. And that's what Canadians need to remember. Nothing illegal was done in this issue. All right. I don't know. Is that, that's the bar. Okay. That's the new bar for Sunny Ways. I appreciate this, uh, Melanie Jolie. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That Thank is uh, Minister Melanie Jolie coming up. Will the opposition find a way to give Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould a chance to speak? MPs are standing by to debate that. And then the Finance Minister, Bill Morneau, will be here to talk about the budget that's getting buried by the controversy. Lots to come. Stay right here with Question Period. So the former cabinet minister, Jane Philpott, says there's much more to say about the SNC-Lavalin affair than what's been reported. She says that she and the former attorney general, Jody Wilson-Raybould, are not able to share the full story unless they claim the prime minister waives cabinet confidence. Wilson-Raybould has now promised to share more evidence with the Justice Committee in writing that she says will prove her case that there was an attempt to politically interfere in the SNC-Lavalin case. The Prime Minister claims that both women can speak anytime they want, so why won't they? But why won't the Prime Minister give them both a waiver to talk? What details are still missing? Let's bring in MPs to talk about that. Marco Mendicino is a Liberal from Ontario. He joins us. Lisa Raid is the Deputy Conservative Leader. Uh, she is in Toronto today. And Peter Julian is the NDP House Leader. He is with us in Ottawa. Good to see all of you. I, I got to start uh, with you, Lisa Raid. Boy, there are two pretty big bombshells. One, um, uh, Jane Philpott telling McLean's Magazine, that um, there's more to say after the Justice Committee was shut down, and then Jody Wilson-Raybould saying she's going to sub submit evidence. What uh, options do you have now, uh, your party have, to let these two women speak? Well, first and foremost, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is now going to submit um, evidence in the form of written submissions, and there's no Justice Committee to test her on the evidence because they decided they had heard enough, even though they were told that Jody Wilson-Raybould wanted to come back 
and say some more. So now we have a very unique situation where the evidence is going to come in, no ability to test it, no ability to have a conversation about it, and we'll just, I guess, receive it, and the world will continue to move on. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Let's get this done, bring them in, have a conversation, lift the waivers, relieve them of their oaths, get it done. Uh, Peter Julian, I mean, they're two pretty important. I mean, you could react to Jane Philpott saying there's more to say. She wants a waiver. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould saying, look, they won't ask me to speak. I'll submit writ uh, written evidence. What do you make of all this? The Liberals have badly, badly miscalculated, both, I think, in terms of public opinion. People find Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould very credible. And the Liberals slagging them and trying to uh, stop them from actually providing more information does not sit well with the public. But also we now have information coming to the Justice Committee and Liberal members on the Justice Committee refusing to take the next steps. And, and so in that sense, we have information now that the Justice Committee will have to uh, look at and rethink uh, this Liberal majority uh, steamroller that tried to shut down the Justice Committee hearings on this. Um, Marco Mancino, what do you make of that? Will the Justice Committee now, given this evidence, recall Jody Wilson-Raybould? And two, do you trust that Jane Philpott said there's still more to say despite all that? Why won't you let her say it? Well, it's not for me or anybody else that doesn't sit on the committee to say. And the committee has made these decisions independently, including with part in partnership with the opposition. So this is a new development. It's just come out. But I do think it is important to underline a couple of things. One, that the government has been very transparent with this, and including the waiver. The waiver is an extraordinary measure. It is not often, uh, it is very sparingly uh, implemented. And that was to enable Ms. wilson able to testify. The Liberals keep maintaining, look, they've had every opportunity. They don't need more of a waiver. There's been lots of testimony. What's your response to that? Sure. They're going to take all the risk. They're going to go and get their legal opinions. They're the ones that are going to have to make sure that they're not going to get sued or disbarred or looked down upon because they broke an oath that they made when they took over a cabinet position. They're going to take all that risk Whereas the one guy who can just say, you can speak about anything you want, let's clear the air, refuses to do so. But it's their fault? I don't know how this becomes their fault. They're whistleblowing. We're trying to find a way for them to actually tell the public what concerns they have about the ethical conduct of the prime minister. That's what this is all about. We've had four resignations. Four. I mean, it was the beginning of the week last week that we had the resignation of the clerk of the Privy Council. By the time we got to Wednesday, we forgot about it because so much more had happened. I think it's important to point out one thing, and that is a number of legal scholars and parliamentary procedural experts have come forward to point out that Ms. Wilson-Raybould and Ms. Philpott do enjoy parliamentary privilege, which would allow them to make a statement in the House with immunity. And so but the notion... How long and when they have a well, one minute, someone one else's minute lawyer or your own? I'm simply pointing out um, a fact and a, and a series of opinions which have been put forward in the yeah, public well, domain. So they have no that, duty that should client, also be taken right? into the mix when it comes want. to discussing what are the opportunities that would allow okay, so better, both of them to, okay, okay, so, of them to so make so statements. That. I think that's a fair point. Uh, there have been, Peter Julian, legal scholars that say whatever you say in the House of Commons is protected. Now, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former Attorney General, does not believe that's enough or that that forum is uh, the best forum. But why is your party calling for a national choir if they're right that these two women can talk whenever they want about this? 
Uh, I, I trust Jody Wilson-Raybould a lot more than I trust the, the liberal spin on this. And the public inquiry that Jagmeet Singh has called for is something that I think a lot of Canadians also believe has to happen now. The extent of the corruption, the, the contradictions uh, that we are hearing, and, and the fact that SNC-Lavalin has been involved in some pretty outrageous stuff all, I think, push us in the direction of having a public inquiry and a Prime Minister who actually keeps his promise about being transparent, which is what he promised Canadians back in 2015, would move immediately to do that. Oh, Lisa Ray, you're a lawyer. Just, just, can you weigh in on this? We have heard, look, these, yeah. these two women are protected. They could speak in the House if they want. Some Liberals have argued that the waiver allows them to speak about whatever they want. What's your take on that? Do they have other places to speak? Well, all very interesting for other people to assume they know all the facts in the situation when they actually don't know because Jody Wilson-Raybould is not their client. She has her own lawyer and she's done her own due diligence and she's determined that what she has isn't enough to fully disclose everything she wants to disclose and she needs more. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to assume that she's lawyered up appropriately with a Supreme Court justice formally who has given her really good advice. The rest of the people chattering on television saying, or in the print, saying that, oh no, she can do this, she can do that. How do you know? Have you paid for a legal opinion? Are you sure? Are you willing to take the risk? Because she isn't, and really, that's all that matters. Marco Mendicino, the CEO of SNC-Lavalin, said he never mentioned in an interview with Bloomberg, he never mentioned job losses. 9,000. He never said that the headquarters were going to move, but your government kept insisting that was one of the prime reasons to keep pressuring Jody Wilson-Raybould to give them a deferred prosecution agreement. Can you tell me where your government got that information if SNC-Lavalin says it wasn't from us? Well, in my reading of the article, which I think does quote the CEO of SNC-Lavalin, the, the, the subtle point that he made was that, um, that, yes, there would be an impact and that that impact would not necessarily mean that his employees or who are highly skilled couldn't then also find other work. But the, to assert that there wouldn't be any impact on uh, any corporation who might not be able to apply or to be eligible for contracts uh, would not have an impact on jobs and the, and the economy, I think, is, is a stretch. And I think, more importantly, what the Prime Minister has been very consistent on and what Canadians would expect from any government is that, yes, we would advance jobs and impact uh, on economy as a legitimate and relevant yeah, consideration but, but, okay, your, your on whether response, or not to use this I, I tool. think Canadians might ask if you're going to advance it based on facts, however, that we want to know where those facts are from. And, Julie, and, and the facts are SNC-Lavalin has a binding loan agreement with the Quebec Pension Plan yeah. that obliges them for the next half decade to be in Canada. So uh, it, it's a red herring that the Liberals have been throwing out to trying to hide e extraordinarily inappropriate actions by the Prime Minister that have ultimately, and, and some of his staff, that ultimately have left led, uh, to the Attorney General losing her job when she was standing for principle and the rule of law. That is outrageous. That is why we need a public inquiry. Long road left till the election, but this is still one of the big stops on the way. Marco Mendicino, great to see you. Lisa Raitt, Peter Julian, great to see both of you as well. Coming up on this program, though, the budget. Oh, right. Remember, there was a budget. The finance minister, Bill Morneau, is next to talk about his $22 billion in new spending. Can it reset the agenda for the embattled Liberal government? We'll find out next. Bill Morneau joins us. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, the opposition tried to drown out the finance minister's budget announcement, banging on their desks using a filibuster, and it might still be getting drowned out by the SNC-Lavalin affair. Nonetheless, the budget is hugely consequential. 
This one had $22 billion of new spending on everything from new housing measures for millennials, skills training for trade workers, money for indigenous communities, even support for people who want to buy electric cars. But as widespread as the spending was, there's still no path back to balanced books. Should Canadians be concerned about big deficits? Are the new provisions for first-time home buyers as good as they seem? Did the government miss an opportunity to woo voters with a universal pharmacare plan? I spoke to the finance minister, Bill Morneau, earlier this week to find out. Let me start with the deficit, Andrew Scheer. That's the first thing that he spoke about. In the, in the first budget you had when you were the finance minister, you promised to balance the books, modest deficits of $10 billion. Now we're close to nine, $19 billion. There's no plan to balance the books right now. Are you worried, frankly, about credibility, that you broke a fundamental promise on deficits? Here you are with another budget, $22 billion of new spending. No plan to come to balance. Does that worry you about the breaking of the deficit promise? You know, I think the most important promise that we made to Canadians that we were going to invest in them. And uh, that has been demonstrated to be the right decision. The economic outcomes that we've seen, you know, the lowest level of unemployment in uh, more than a generation. These are the things that we know matter to Canadians. And from my perspective, as long as we can do that and maintain a sense of fiscal responsibility, improving our balance sheet every year, you know, this is the way of responsibly making sure we have a strong economy. Uh, I, I ask you because you say the most important promise was investing, but then people will ask, well, what promises are we to believe? For example, on pharmacare, there's been four years. We thought there was going to be pharmacare. There's really very little. I know there's the Canadian Drug Agency, $35 million over four years for bulk buying. It's really not a plan. I guess the question would be, when do we know what promises to believe, and when do we know what promises you're going to break? Well, let's parse the pharmacare issue because it, I think it's a really important one. We said a year ago that we were going to appoint an advisory council to help us on thinking about how we can best do this. We're putting in place an agency that we know is going to help us to get at costs. We're actually putting in place a lot more than what you said, $500 million per year out there to deal with high-cost drugs for rare diseases so that when we set down to to work with provinces and territories to get us to the place where we can actually get to national pharmacare, we have some tools at our disposal. So you're going to see more about this because the, the council is going to come out with their final recommendations in the next couple of months. But dealing with costs is critically important and dealing with access is important. I acknowledge we've started with the first really important step and there is more to do. But we're going okay, to get so at that. Let me do one last question on that, because you've been in power for four years. The NDP says this is not the national pharmacare. It's only even, to use your words, it's just a first step. One first tiny step in four years. Are you ruling out putting national pharmacare in the election uh, platform? Is that, you know, is it a promise, a carrot that you're dangling in front of people? Because there's not enough money for that now. We're not ruling that out. I'm certainly not writing the campaign platform right now. I was involved, of course, intimately in figuring out exactly how we could best respond to this advisory committee. I think when you look at what we've been doing over the last four years, you, you can see that we've been methodical and absolutely responsible in getting step by step the things we wanted to put in place. Just one last question on the deficit and the debt, because the federal debt will rise by $127 billion by 2023. Just a lot more than you guys promised. Are you not concerned about that? I understand your government talks about the debt to GDP ratio, but the economic forecast is we've got a rainy day coming. Things do not look great coming up. Aren't you worried about this fiscal anchor? And then when we need money, we're going to blow through that and your kids, my kids, everyone's kids are going to be paying for this big spending. 
It, it's, of course, really important that we be fiscally responsible, and that's something that we've demonstrated because we've been able to, every year, we've said that we're going to move lower in terms of the deficit as a function of our economy, and we have. You saw that what I've projected now for 1819, the year that's going to end in 10 days, is less than I even projected back last November, let alone what I projected a year ago. So we're, we're to actually... To be fair, in 2015, you projected a balanced book, so that's, I think, what people are but, saying. That's the problem. where we're at is, is better than what we said we were going to be at even just a few months ago. So we're going to continue with that sort of approach. Now, I do think that we need to focus on what are the debt issues in this country that are really, really important to get at. I worry about household debt. That's why we've taken measures that are very prudent in the housing sector. I worry about provincial debt. Of course, we're seeing provinces trying to get a handle on their debt, which is, as a function of their economy, much more significant. And from a federal government standpoint, I want to make sure that we reduce our debt as a function of the overall economy every single year, and that's what we're doing. We've done it every year. We continue to project the possibility of doing that in every year and reducing the deficit along the way. Let me talk about you because you mentioned first-time homebuyers. You've got the first-time homebuyer incentive. So buyers uh, who are making you know, household income less than 120000 can basically go get from the Canadian uh, CMHC, they can get basically up to $30,000 for a home that's under $480,000. I, I appreciate that. that may, how, how many people will that actually help immediately? Well, uh, to put it in context, we have about a half a million home buyers each year in our country, and about 100,000 of those are first-time home buyers. So what we expect is that we're going to actually be able to take some people who just can't quite get into the first-time home buyer situation and move them into that. So our modeling suggests it could be 20 30, 40,000 families that get an advantage through this. And the numbers are a little different than you just said. So in that $480,000 home, if you're, taking, if you're able to take a 5% mortgage, which means if it's an existing house, yeah. it'd be like 24,000. But if it's a new house, creating more demand for more supply, it's which 10%. we need, it's 10%, yeah. so $48,000. So that's actually a pretty important chunk that will actually reduce people's mortgage payments. Now, granted, that equity is now off on the side with CMHC, but it reduces their mortgage payments. Is so it an interest-free loan, just so people are asking me? So when you sell the home, does CM, you just pay back CMHC exactly what you took? It's basically an interest-free loan. It's not like they have any equity in the house outside of the amount that you borrow from them. Is that right? What we're, there'll be more details coming out in the coming weeks and months, but no, there'll be some sense of upside and downside for CMHC so that we actually have a situation where people are actually looking at their housing situation with that 5 or 10% off of their day-to-day -day worries, their month-to-month -month worries are actually just reducing their mortgage. But CMHC could, if the house goes up, you're saying CMHC could take the profit, so if they lend you 20000 they could see more of that back based on the equity value in your well, sell? Well, we, we still have more work to oh, do okay, to make so sure we get the terms oh, okay, and conditions. That's interesting. I didn't know that's that. That's how shared equity mortgages work in the market. They do exist right now. Yeah. There are private providers. Is on that model. Before I let you go, uh, a lot of the opposition says this is an attempt to change the channel on SNC-Lavalin. Uh, real quick, in your last omnibus budget bill, you had the deferred prosecution agreement, that instrument that would allow SNC-Lavalin to avoid criminal prosecution. There's been so much blowback. Uh, do you regret putting it in there, or do you think you ought to have better explained that instrument to Canadians who now believe it's a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card for corporate Canada? I think it was the right thing to do then. You'll know that we went through a consultation process, that it was a, it's an approach that's been used in, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, in Germany, in France. It's, it's around the world as a, as a regular way of holding 
wrongdoing companies to account, but not actually damaging the innocent employees. Uh, it's just a question of how it gets applied. Minister, i got to leave it there. I okay. really appreciate you coming in. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot. All right, coming up, the latest news in the SNC-Lavalin affair has overpowered news about the budget. Will Jody Wilson-Raybould present new evidence that will now light new fires? The scrum is next. Our special guest this time, former NDP leader Tom Mulcair. Stay with Question Period. They have indicated they want to continue uh, to serve as Liberal members. They want to continue to run in the next election as uh, Liberal members of Parliament uh, and uh, that they share the goals we have. Well, that was a shocker, even with the former minister, Jane Philpott's open attack on the prime minister in McLean's magazine, claiming there is much more to the SNC-Lavalin story yet to be told. That was a bombshell. Even when Jane Philpott said all this just two days after the budget, blowing the budget off the front pages, undermining the liberal agenda, angering her for her liberal colleagues, still, still the prime minister refuses to kick Jane Philpott and fellow rebel and former cabinet minister Jody Wilson-Raybould out of the liberal caucus. Why not? Now, here's another development. Jody Wilson-Raybould says she will provide written submissions to the Justice Committee of evidence, she says, are and relevant facts that will clarify her testimony and respond to other witnesses who appeared after her. So the drip, drip, drip of this controversy has now created a flood of problems for the Liberal government. Let's bring in the scrum to sort all this out, because I'm sure they can. <laughs> Tanya McCharles is a senior reporter with the Toronto Star. Joyce Napier is CTV's Ottawa bureau chief. Craig Oliver is CTV's chief political commentator. Our special guest this round is the former NDP leader, current uh, CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair. Um, it's amazing what these people can do with no sleep. Tom Mulcair, what a busy week. Um, how damaging was the first, we'll start with Jane Philpott, that Jane Philpott interview in McLean's magazine coming just days after the budget. It was a game changer. It was a bombshell. And the reason it was so important, the SNC-Lavalin file, the interference in the Attorney General's job, was starting to peter out. Too many details. I think Canadians were starting to move away from it. But she came right back and said, there's still a lot that needs to be said. And you're right. Jody Wilson-Raybould, at the end of the week, wrote an important letter to the Justice Committee saying she was going to provide written evidence. But she used three words in there that were crucial, within the confines. So she's signaling, as did Jane Philpott, that there's a lot more that Canadians have a right to know. They just don't feel that they're allowed to say it with the rules that Mr. Trudeau set down as to the timing and what they're allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. But Philpott went farther even than Wilson-Raybould had ever done. And I think that this is unsustainable for any prime minister. What she said was the prime minister and his closest advisors are attempting to prevent this story coming out and preventing the truth coming out. Basically, she said it's a cover-up by the prime I think, minister. I think that's what Jody Wilson-Raybould has been saying all yes. along. No, she has never I, said I directly that the prime minister is preventing you. a story I will, coming I out. I will disagree with you there. I, Jody Wilson-Raybould, every time she's spoken about the fact that she has this waiver and she's limited in what she can say, is essentially implying But the opposition that. is but saying know, it's a cover-up, and she's saying is, it's a cover-up also. Waiver, this waiver is debatable. What they're allowed to say and not allowed to say is still debatable. So 
Can you can she get up in the House of Commons and tell the truth because she has privilege? Absolutely. We know that. Yeah. That is a possibility. And I'm if sure she can, if she can get the opportunity to, yes, to ask but anyone I am, who gives yeah, her a minute. For some reason I get the House would probably give her that opportunity. I'm just guessing okay. that that would be important kind of enough yes. for the House that this would be, right? So what they can well, actually, or cannot what happened say, this week. but what they can or cannot say is still up for debate. I'm sorry, because if other people have testified to this cabinet shuffle and what was said about the cabinet shuffle to Jane Philpott about Jody Wilson-Raybould, then why is it that they did not feel that the same waiver applied to them? Now, is there an well, end game here? Because they haven't been given a chance. No, well, I don't know if they haven't been given a chance. No, they look, this week, let, let's look at the facts. This week, the Conservatives brought forward a motion to try to give them the chance to speak. As Jane Philpott said correctly in that interview we just referenced, how can she, in an SO31, those are those famous one-minute mm -hmm. statements MPs make before question period, how is she in one minute supposed to rebut or Give no, but we have heard four hours of testimony. She said it's much longer statements than that. That's not true. That is really like nitpicking. That is true. They, there's, they tried to get a longer statement, and the Liberals Tom, voted against it. Let's Tom, stick can with she, the facts. Can, 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 any, can any MP not stand up in the yes, House yeah. of Commons on yes. a question of privilege right. and say, under my privileges as an MP, I have a statement of great importance to the country to make, and would they not be recognized and allowed to give that? And all of that statement would be protected by the immunity that's given MPs in the Commons. A great yes. expert named Rob Walsh, who used to be the House Law Officer, mm -hmm. says they can do that. Jane yes. Philpott, yes. and don't forget, Jody Wilson has Jaha, a let me hear Tom Justice okay. guiding around Go ahead, Tom. This. You asked the question, let me just get to it. <laughs> there is a real question whether or not that actually covers her if she reveals oh, cabinet on. confidences. So she has every right, legally, to want to know in advance if she's going to be protected. So far, Mr. Trudeau has only allowed a part of the truth to come out. Both Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott are saying, let the whole truth come out. Okay, before we decide to get all Gnostic and count the angels dancing on the head of a pin, mm -hmm. I'm not sure every lawyer's <laughs> yeah, got something exactly, here. Yeah. But, but here's my question, and, and uh, Joyce, I'll ask it to you. If, the, if there's a debate about the waiver, where they can speak, and, and the Liberals say, oh, they're free to speak. This is what the Liberal contention is. They can speak all they want. Then, but there still is, within the public, this notion that they haven't got the Prime Minister saying, just go ahead and do it. If they're so unafraid, why don't they just give them the waiver, let them speak, and if they've exactly. got something, yes, let it out. I if they don't, totally, it's nothing. I totally agree with that. Exactly. Why don't they just give a waiver? Why doesn't the Prime Minister, and I have asked that question to the Prime Minister's office, what's up with not standing in front of a camera and saying, okay, you have something to say, speak. Also, however, these two people who say, I have a secret, I have a game-changing secret, but sorry, I can't tell. Seriously, I find that that smells like a game, and there is an end game here, and if there isn't an end game, then I don't understand right. what so, they're well, doing. Craig, well, let me just go to Craig, because the Prime Minister now has tolerated these, yeah. uh, this yeah. situation for weeks and weeks, well past a month, Craig. The Prime Minister's got a decision to make. Can he tolerate them in no. caucus or not? No, he cannot. No Prime Minister I've ever known would have or did have uh, to put up with uh, assaults on his personal integrity by former senior ministers of his government who are still sitting there in caucus. 
this is, uh, you know, you. So you what's he doing to him with that? The fact that he of, keeps defending them. It's maybe uh, uh, maybe weak. And she's act. She's giving strength and support to the opposition parties yeah. who want to defeat his government. They both are. And, and so now you're now, starting to see Im- you're starting to see caucus members, Tom, starting to question these women for doing that. But he's and paying- I can see a caucus gang up on them coming. And yeah. he's paying for his own policies. Well, you know, I think he wanted that, diversity. That, that ter- he got dissidents. Tom, I think that the words these women are actually going to be crucial here. In her interview, Jane Philpott was asked straight up, what do you think of Bill Morneau saying that the only reason you talked about this is your good buddies with uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould? Her answer was revealing. She said, that's insulting. She said, this is about morality. This is about ethics. This is about doing the right thing. And she was insulted that Bill Morneau would let it be known that as far as he was concerned, it was because Jody Wilson-Raybould was one of her girlfriends. That is insulting. It is becoming an issue that affects Mr. Trudeau's credibility on the issue of women in politics, which is something that he has tried to make a mark on. And right now that is turning against him whole hog as the whole rest of it becomes undone. What I've heard is that the Prime Minister likely will try to call a caucus vote, walk out of the room, let caucus vote on whether these two women should stay in. So he says it's not my decision, it's caucus. Mm -hmm. That's one possibility if he decides to do it. But Tonda, in the midst of this, just real quick, where does this go from here? You've got the CEO of SNC-Lavalin undermining the Liberals' position Mm -hmm. that this whole thing was about the 9,000 jobs. He said, we never said that. Jane Philpott's coming out. You've got more evidence we'll have next week or this coming week about... Where, where is this going? Well, it's not going anywhere soon, is it? That's right. <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's going to be with us for a while. This is one of the most uh, frequently and fast evolving stories I've ever covered on the Hill in 20 years. And so um, I think we have changes daily. It's not going anywhere. And uh, had they thought to put it to bed with the budget, that didn't happen. And now people are talking about, you know, well, so what does all of this mean for an election? And there's mutterings about an election campaign in the air again. So, look, it's not going away anytime soon. If they'd hoped that people had already yeah. formed an opinion, I don't think we're there yet. And it has weakened a prime minister, and that's all that party has is a prime minister. He's never let a strong team develop. They really. had 150 newcomers come to that party when elected to the House of Commons yeah. under Trudeau's banner. All right, last word to you, Tom. Where is this going? What's your view? I don't think anybody would have predicted a week ago that we would be back talking about this issue and it would be so hot at this point right now. So it has been unpredictable so far. Let's wait to see what's in Jody Wilson-Raybould's documents. And then let's see if Mr. Trudeau has the courage to allow both of these strong women to speak up. A lot of people are watching this. They all know that they're being held back from what they can say. I don't think that Justin Trudeau is going to have any choice but to finally lift the veil and let them speak. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. I'll tell you one thing, the drip, drip, drip strategy that they've deployed has not worked so far. Tom Mulcair, great to have you on the program. Coming up, the the Liberals were probably hoping, no, they were hoping, that the budget would change the channel from the SNC-Lavalin affair, as you saw there. It didn't happen. But was there enough substance there to win over voters when the smoke all clears, the scrum returns? Our special guest is the former Alberta Premier Alison Redford. Oh, right. There's an election campaign in Alberta as well. Stay right here with Question Period. budget is not a serious fiscal plan for the country. It is a $41 billion corruption cover-up that Canadians will pay for if he's re-elected. I know it's not just me, but it does feel like the budget was delivered 
weeks ago. That's probably bad news for the Liberals who just announced $22 billion in new program spending, but it feels like a long time ago because so much has happened since. The SNC-Lavalin controversy still burning like a high-grade political fever. Alberta kicked off a critical provincial election campaign that could have huge national consequences vis-a-vis the carbon price and the pipeline issue. Still, budgets do matter, especially budgets in an election year. So, did the Liberals deliver enough substantively to reset the agenda? To talk about that and the Alberta election, let's bring back the scrum. Tonda McCharles is back, Joyce Napier is back, Craig Oliver is back, and our special guest this round is the former Premier of Alberta, Alison Redford. She is in Calgary. Well, great to see everyone. And Alison, let me start with you. Um, and we'll start politically, and we'll get to substantive things in a minute. Did the budget do enough? Was there enough substance in it to change the channel on the SNC-Lavalin affair? Well, it seems to me that SNC-Lavalin is continuing to be something that's of interest to Canadians. Uh, and the budget, although it is probably a very interesting topic to discuss, isn't really getting the traction that, uh, that uh, the government would have wanted it to get. Yeah, apart, Craig. From, apart from a really generous $8 billion, badly needed by First Nations people, uh, this is a budget that was classically pre-election, uh, sort of a very small chicken, maybe a budgie, a budgie in every pot, <laughs> and, and some pot in every budgie if you want pot. But basically they just spread a ton of money around, and they did what liberals have been doing for years. They kind of promise a large-scale social program. For years it was, remember, uh, daycare. It was going right. to be daycare, daycare, daycare. Uh, and now it's going to be uh, drug care, drug care, drug care. Yeah. And we'll never see it, just like we never really saw a well, national think, daycare program. I think actually they've set the stage to announce that in a platform for a campaign, for sure. Uh, they say they're going to create a drug agency, come up with a list, that, and they'll have the buying power of a national drug agency. Uh, but it, will that go all the way? We'll have to see in a platform. $35 million over five, four years for that national drug agency is pretty It's not small. much. So that's why I think that they're saving something for the platform. On that, they have not done, uh, you know, assigned Eric Hoskins to be working on this with a bunch of people for over a year. Uh, speaking to him anyway, he's pretty convinced that once he produces a final report in June, um, that that will be something that the Liberals will get behind. Well, maybe they are. You've you said know, that for weeks, uh, Joyce. It's, it, it's interesting because I, there's something in it for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. So wherever they're going to go on the country during the election campaign, they'll be able to say, oh, young people, we have something for you. Older Canadians, we have something for you. We have uh, job training. We have this, that, and the other. You know, it's sort of like an Oprah budget. Look under your seat. There's something for everybody. Yay. So it's a happy budget. It had to be a happy one, but no real signature. Yeah, Alison Redford, it was interesting to have Bill Morneau on the program. I spoke to him earlier. Some of his signature programs, like trying to get millennials to buy houses in the home buying, he doesn't even know, the details aren't even worked out. That surprised me. What's your take? Well, I think that some of the issues that they tried to raise in the budget are very complicated issues that will take time to implement, like Pharmacare. I mean, that's something that takes years to do, regardless of how quickly you want to do it. You have to negotiate with the provinces and that sort of thing. I think there are other elements that probably could have more detail attached to them. Uh, and I think part of what will probably happen over the next six or seven months is they start to see how this program is being received by Canadians and whether or not Canadians are prepared to, to take it on board that there's the opportunity then for them to adjust that a little bit in terms of the, the management of the program, but also in terms of the platform. I yep. think Pharmacare is a mirage. So I, think I think it's purely a mirage. Uh, the Prime Minister will be promising more about Pharmacare with no details, no money, 
uh, nothing of the kind, but he'll be able to say, we've got a new national program ready for you, Canadians, if you elect us. Uh, Allison Redford, the uh, Alberta election kicked off. Uh, Rachel Notley's NDP versus, essentially versus Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party. The NDP struggling to fix an economy hit by low, low oil prices. Jason Kenney, well in the lead according to polls, mm -hmm. but hobbled by allegations about his leadership campaign, even an RCMP investigation. Uh, what's your take on why this is so consequential for the whole country to be watching? Well, I, I got to tell you, it comes to pipelines. And when I was Premier, we talked about pipelines and there was a different approach to them across the country. Um, I think now we're talking about a lot of Canadians getting behind these projects. I think the challenge is that generally there's a political will now to build pipelines. The challenge is not whether we have an NDP government in Alberta or a UCP government in Alberta. Both premiers or premier and leader are very, are very um, committed to the idea of building the pipeline. The challenge is what is the structure going to be, the commercial structure that's going to allow us to get acceptable passage through the rest of the country to get it done. And that's got to be a partnership with First Nations. And I think so I hope that we move ahead to that. But I think that, that where we're at now is that if that's the issue we're talking about in Alberta, we have two leaders that are both committed to pipelines, so it shouldn't actually change the national discussion. Well, I, I, I will say about this provincial... Sorry. Well, no, Alison, I was just going to say the one thing I think that will change the, 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 the national discussion around that commercial path you're talking about is if Jason Kenney is elected, first of all, he's um, perhaps a more formidable foe for Justin Trudeau, and he has already threatened to actually go through with the threat to cut off oil to B.C. if it doesn't no. get on board with putting a pipeline through to the ocean, and um, he's warning of a constitutional referendum to get uh, Alberta out of national equalization programs. Those are huge national unity debates on the horizon for Trudeau if Kenny gets elected. Let's not elect Kenny yet. Uh, Allison will know better than I, but I remember during this campaign, uh, before the last campaign, nobody was predicting the NDP would win. The polls weren't pointing to an NDP win. Now, you know, my I haven't covered Alberta politics since Ernest C. Manning and the Back to the Bible Hour, but I wonder if there might be a big change coming here and we're You're not seeing it again. It's always a dose of reality, Craig. Yeah. Well, I want to say that... It won't make oh. any difference because they can scream loud and they can say whatever they want. The pipeline is not in the hands necessarily right now of the province of Alberta. They both want the same thing. That won't change. If, if he is indeed elected, Jason Kenney will run into this marshmallow wall that the building of this pipeline has been. If Jason Kenney does win, I think Atana said it, he becomes a very formidable opponent to Justin Trudeau as that election's playing out. So we got our eyes on Alberta. i got to leave it there. Allison Redford, former Premier of Alberta, great to have you on the program. And the same for Tonda McCharles, Joyce Napier, and Craig Oliver. These guys basically have bunk beds here, so they're not going anywhere. And by the way, thank you for watching. A big welcome to Spring, which so far has been kind of like the Liberal budget. It hasn't turned the channel on a long, hard winter. We'll see what happens. We will be back here in seven short spring days for the next chapters. Thanks for watching.